ways. Lindsey Graham's going, going down in flames. Yeah, because it's connected to the fact that he is doomed when it comes to the investigation into Old Donnie and his actions and his reactions just in the last day or so, as well as analysis, bode extremely poorly for him. And the police have made a massive move against Lindsey Graham that he will never, ever forget. But let's start with some of the context right off the top. Right off the top, we need to understand that this is a potential RICO investigation. And because of that, anybody Uh, beneath the kingpin Donald Trump is in trouble. Listen to this for some context. The grand jury, and I'm going to try and lie my way out of this. Mm-hmm. That's just like the phrase I'm going to the grand jury to lie is not so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but I wouldn't advise that. Uh, Andrew Weissman, thank you for your time and brilliance as always. It's great to what? have you just spend the whole night here. <laughs> okay, Georgia, we were just talking about it. Of course, this news tonight regarding Mr. Meadows comes on the eve of the release of certain parts of the Fulton County special grand jury report on Trump's efforts and those of his allies to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia. Now, nationally, Fulton County. Georgia DA Fonnie Willis is best known for this investigation, the 2020 investigation. But in the state of Georgia, she has been making a name for herself prosecuting gangs. In the past two years, Willis has brought three RICO cases against a total of 66 alleged members of three Atlanta area gangs. Racketeer influenced and corrupt organization charges, that's the RICO in RICO, are notoriously difficult to bring. You have to prove that a group of people were involved in a pattern of multiple crimes and that those crimes were all related to one another. But legal cases aren't all gangs and mafia members. The first case of Bonnie Willis's that got national media attention was a legal case she brought almost a decade ago against a group of Atlanta public school teachers and administrators that Willis alleged were working together to cheat state standardized tests. Literally, Bonnie Willis brought legal charges against teachers and won convictions. So one of the big questions in former President Trump's case is, will Fonnie Willis use the particular skill she has of bringing RICO cases against unlikely defendants? Specifically, will she bring RICO charges against Trump and his allies for their attempt to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia? Like, I think that's important to understand. This is not individualized. And while some people obviously bear more responsibility than others, based on their power, based on their knowledge, based on the types and amounts of crimes that they committed, fundamentally, when it's a RICO thing, it means anyone can go down if they were a part of the chain. And that includes some regular folks that were part of the scheme that we don't even really know, like low-level GOP thugs, MAGA thugs in Georgia and and elsewhere. But it also includes the kingpin and and everyone in between. And the the captains, the the lieutenants of the scheme. And Lindsey Graham fits that bill perfectly. And it's within that context that we need to understand that Lindsey is terrified right now. Lindsey is raising money for his legal bills, probably to cover some of the ones he's already accrued, but likely under the expectation that he's also facing future legal issues. And so he's gotten some of his GOP buddies to sort of do a fundraiser for him, and he's raised quite a pretty penny for his legal defense 
And he's still out there begging money. You can see that. Anyone is welcome to help. He's told media, almost like he's some poor person and they're passing around the collection plate at a church fundraiser for him. When Lindsey Graham is a very wealthy man, uh, certainly well off. I don't know how rich he is, but he's certainly rich enough to afford his own legal bills. Nonetheless, because it's such a massive case and because he's so terrified, he's begging for money. And this connects to the fact that he is everywhere in these mentions. The police are making a move against People are just saying we're going to let this play out. Of course, most people are also saying they did nothing wrong. They were forthcoming. They did what they, uh, what the court compelled them to do, what the special grand jury compelled them to do. As we know, some of the people on that list you pointed out did kind of, um, at first, they were hesitant to comply with the subpoena. There were some court hearings, preliminary court hearings, to frame some of that questioning, some of those former elected officials face, for example, but ultimately they were compelled to testify and they also they did so um, to the extent that they were required to. Well, um, Charles, Lindsey Graham is one of those people who fought it um, tried to go to court to stop his testimony, ultimately testified. He did a sort of walk and talk and uh, reporters asked him about uh, his testimony and he assured them that he did not uh, have anything to worry about. Um, when you look at that list, and we can put it back up, um, Michael Flynn has already... It, past been um, convicted of lying to the FBI, so we know that he's got a, a certain history. Um, and Lindsey Graham again said that he testified truthfully. Mark Meadows is an interesting case because he would seem to be somebody who was very knowledgeable about the whole plot. When you see that list and you hear that somebody might have lied to a grand jury, um, your thoughts? I hit the nail right on the head with the last name that you mentioned, which was Mark Meadows. I've been saying for a very long time that he is the linchpin, in my opinion, both at a state and federal level, to tying a number of different crimes to Donald Trump in terms of his actions. Because other than Mike Pence, Mark Meadows was probably the most closest to Donald Trump the entire time. And so I found it peculiar that the DOJ has now finally subpoenaed him and they're bringing him in. And I also think that if he did make any missteps with respect to his testimony in front of the Fulton County grand jury, that could be disastrous for Donald Trump. So for me, I'm obviously paying a lot of attention to Mark Meadows because of the high level of implications there. And then Lizzie Graham as well, because with him being a sitting United States Senator, I know he tried to toe a line with respect to speech and debate, but I'm sure that the prosecutors who were asking him questions in front of the grand jury were able to move around that. And so I'm very curious as to see whether he is now ensnared himself into some bigger entanglement, given his testimony and anything that he may have said to them, which the jury found to be untruthful. So those two names are the ones that jump out, to, out, out of me as I look at this list. Like, that's big. And we're going to get to Lindsay's reaction and the reaction to Lindsay's reaction. But, you know, he is part of this. When they said the names, like, you know, we, we're not going to say who, but somebody here, multiple people, so at least two people, committed perjury, in our opinion. Lindsay is, is near the top of that list for me. Because Lindsay Graham has a lot to hide. And though Lindsay Graham isn't dumb, I don't think he's dumb necessarily, I think that he's so uh, irrationally loyal to Trump that he would lie to protect Trump. 
Because Lindsey Graham probably didn't need to lie to protect himself here. Even if he did something shady, I don't know if it's by the book criminal, again, unless it's part of a RICO thing. But if he's honest in testimony, he likely skates by, both because, you know, maybe it's hard to prove, but also, fair or not, he's a sitting U.S. senator, and you give him the benefit of the doubt. Now it's not nearly so clear. And this really demonstrates, this one really demonstrates, guys, that he is part of this, and no one can ignore it. It appears in bright lights is that of Senator Lindsey Graham, who where we already know that there is a disagreement between two people, in, including him, involved in a sort of central part of the scheme. The Secretary right. of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, Brad Raffensperger, says that Senator Graham asked him to reject votes. Senator Graham says he did not. Assuming they both said the same thing to the grand jury, that means that one of them is lying. Is that, am, I, am I doing the math wrong here? No, you're, do, you're doing it right. And the problem for Senator Graham is that uh, Secretary Raffensperger made no real secret about it when it happened. As he, he went on the, you know, in, in public and made some public comments about how he felt about the call and what he thought the purpose of the call was. And so those sort of contemporaneous statements uh, at the time are going to come back to bite uh, Senator Graham, if in fact he's one of the people that the grand jury was, was talking about. But remember, this is just a report. It's almost like a, a recommendation to the DA that she can take or leave or she can take parts of it. She can reject the whole thing and put it in the file drawer and never look at it and do what she wants to do. Um, this does not mean that she will move forward with perjury charges. It just means that there's a, a, some a grand jury here and some members of the grand jury who felt like they, they, they weren't getting the full story. So like those, that's a local Georgia lawyer who understands the law and understands Fannie Willis and understands the game. And Lindsey is, is, is in massive trouble. He's in massive trouble. And this right here, I want you to watch this. This is Lindsey's reaction to the news as well as the reaction to Lindsey. And what it makes clear is that this dude is being hit with criminal charges. Just stand up on it. We just moments ago heard from Lindsey Graham about his testimony to the Fulton County Grand Jury, and he was asked whether he was confident he did not perjure himself because one of the things that was released was that members of this grand jury said, we believe people lied to us. Anyway, here's what Lindsey Graham said about that. Yes, I'm very confident. I have no idea uh, what they're going to do. I'll just leave that. So you're confident you're not one of the ones who perjured themselves? I'm curious what you think about what we have learned so far. The only thing that we know about possible charges here is that they believe that there is potentially perjury involved. And in fact, they think Fonnie Willis should pursue that, that there are people who should be the target of criminal indictments. But does that mean that's the only thing that they found? It really doesn't mean it's the only thing. I think it's pretty clear that they have recommended that she indict some people. We don't know exactly who and for what. Uh, the, the idea of the perjury, I think once the names, and remember the report has been redacted, the court has decided to do that to protect the due process rights of potential defendants, and but at the same time trying to recognize the public's right to have information. Um, you know, what I think you're going to find is that those uh, witnesses who were particularly recalcitrant with the grand jury and who fought the subpoena and, and uh, filed all kind of court actions all to keep from coming forth to telling what they know, knew, uh, I think you're probably going to find that some of those people are indicated by the grand jury to have been folks who were less than forthcoming and less than candid in their testimony. Whether or not that's Graham, I don't know, but I mean, you've got a cast of characters 
uh, who have always been one step away from the truth, who've testified uh, in, in the Fulton County case. And so we don't know who they recommended. We don't know who they're talking about. And I certainly don't know that, uh, who they may be uh, uh, meaning in, in the report. The report itself is is fairly um, anticlimactic in the sense that uh, there's not a lot of information about uh, who who the grand jury was specifically looking at and, and specifically what charges, and that was done for a purpose by the judge. So uh, I'm, I will take the DA at her word that uh, decisions are imminent as we move forward, and, and, and whether or not she takes up a perjury charge, uh, those cases will be tough given the grand jury testimony. My, my guess is that she's got her plate full as she tries to deal with whether or not she's going to indict a former president mm-hmm. and, and uh, the, the rest of the rest of the team there. Much more to comment. Like, you see what they're saying there. Lindsay's like, I'm confident I didn't do anything wrong and just quickly scurries away from the reporter. But then it notes there that the people that were particularly recalcitrant, as I believe the language he used, the people who were especially unwilling to just go in and play ball with the grand jury are the ones most likely to have been fibbing or lying or committing perjury. And remember that Lindsay more than anyone fought this. Right? He is the one more than anyone. Even Rudy. Rudy fought it and pretended he couldn't get down there. But Rudy went, ultimately. You know, And Lindsey Graham fought it all the way to the Supreme Court. Not even Rudy did that. So Lindsey Graham fought this harder than any single individual person, I believe at least. Uh, no one could fight it any harder than him. The best they could tie him. So he fought it harder than basically anyone. And still lost, eventually went, and he might be the person with the biggest to hide. He is being whacked with criminal charges right now because everyone assumes that he is on that list. Do they get applied? We don't know yet. But this man is in massive trouble, and my God, history's already been made because I don't think I've ever seen a U.S. senator this close to an orange jumpsuit, at least in modern history. Don't buy solar panels. Seriously, there is a very good reason why we're saying this. If you're thinking about buying solar panels, don't. The U.S. government will literally buy them for you. If you take 60 seconds to answer a few questions below. So, Hi I'm, there. right now I'm thinking of ways to, um, that I can change my behavior so I stop getting violations. And, um, I'm going to be having a, uh, I'm going to film all of my TikTok content on that channel that's probably going to go down. Um, and I'm not going to post anything more on it. And I'm going to start up another another account and then like continue monitoring to see like if I don't, you know, I'm hoping that if I don't post anything new, then uh, the Trump Empers will... Uh, you know, lose interest in reporting that account. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have a marathon and uh, appreciate my own work. So anyway, uh, thank you for 57k or so listens. My name's Chiste, my mind is touch producer. I podcast 24-7. Trump Griffson lies to Ohio while Mayor Pete works. Um, then there's, ooh, live Jack Smith subpoenas Ivanka and Jared and more. Uh, we, we actually, there's political beatdowns on.
just streamed 54 minutes ago. But uh, the Tony Michaels podcast looks great, too. Um, streamed three hours ago. Trump grifts and lies to Ohio while Mayor Pete works. So let's go to Political Beatdown. Welcome to the Political Beatdown. What's up, Brigade? This is Ben Micellis here with the one and only Michael Cohen. Let me give you just some of the topics we will be talking about on today's Political Beatdown. Special Counsel Jack Smith subpoenaed Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. I want to get Cohen's reaction to that. I want to talk about the MAGA Republican disinformation machine in overdrive in East Palestine, Ohio, regarding the train derailment affair. Steve Bannon was just sued by his former lawyer for hundreds of thousands of dollars in unpaid legal bills. Fox is now platforming this idea that's being spread by the MAGA Republicans of secession and a national divorce. And I want to talk about the Fulton County Grand Jury four-person speaking to the media and what is going on there. But as we just started live, there's some breaking news to report. A federal judge has agreed to permit former FBI officials Peter Strzok and Lisa Page to take sworn testimony from former President Donald Trump for two hours as part of their long-running lawsuit related to Strzok's firing in 2018 after Trump repeatedly and publicly pilloried the pair. This according to Politico, Politico and its U.S. District Court Judge Amy Berman Jackson made that ruling. And for those watching Midas Touch Network consistently, you know that she's been a very staunch ally of democracy and the rule of law and has not been forgiving to Donald Trump's fascism and these insurrectionists at their sentencing and during their trials. But Michael Cohen, welcome. And the first thing I want to ask you is, how are you doing, Cohen? What's up in Cohen world? Boy, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And in all fairness, you don't want it to stop because if it stops, that means that Alvin Bragg has decided not to proceed forward. Let me be very clear to our brigade. That is not what's happening. I am heading back again uh, this upcoming week to the district attorney's office. And let me just say the following, because I don't want to do what the four person did. Uh, not that I could, because I am not the four person of the grand jury. I will just be testifying eventually before the grand jury. Um, let me just say that we are in prep for that date. Um, and that preparation date is coming up this week. Uh, then I will find out when I will be uh, presented to the grand jury which everybody has expected and has already been uh, put out there. Uh, excited to finally have that opportunity, you know, to provide the information that the 17 previous interviews have finally now culminated in. And again, uh, this is all moving very quickly. I have always said, and you have always heard me say the same thing. I am not changing my tune. I believe that the New York District Attorney's case is the one that is keeping Donald Trump up at night more than any other. Uh, and I also believe that it is the simplest within which to prove because it's based upon documentary evidence as opposed to having to rely upon uh, whether or not Donald Trump had mens rea, whether or not he had the intent uh, to 
calls the illegal action, even though, you know, sometimes there is an illegal act, but if there's no mens rea or intent, it kind of negates out the charge. Not in this case, and I do believe that this is going to be the first, which could also be the first in U.S. history. We have never had a president or former president of the United States indicted. So this is extremely big news. For the and you're hearing it here. You're hearing it here for the first time with else. smiling Ben Micellis. That's what I love about the political beatdown. You know, sometimes our producer Salty asks, hey, you know, do we have the graphic for that or do we've got the video for it? And I joke, I say, Salty, we are the graphic. We are the video. Cohen's breaking the news right here. And when you had your last meeting before the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, you um, talk to us about the fact that you left that you believe you would go before uh, the grand jury in the next 30 days when we had our uh, Tuesday political beatdown. And now you're letting us know that next week you're going to be going to this one final prep session and then you expect to go before the grand jury. That's big news that we are breaking right big. here again on the big political news. beatdown. And so when I asked Cohen, Cohen, any news on your end at the beginning of the show? It's why you all need to uh, be here early for the live. And I want to get your next reaction to the breaking news, Cohen, about um, this uh, federal case that, of course, we've been talking about on the Midas Touch Network, the lawsuit filed by Peter Strzok and Lisa Page in the uh, D.C. District Court uh, based on Strzok's firing in 2018 um, after Trump harassed and threatened him and continues to do so publicly. And Trump says that he trusts Vladimir Putin more than Strzok in a recent speech. Um, and Amy Berman Jackson uh, the federal judge presiding over it has just ordered Donald Trump's deposition. And what's interesting here is, you know, we saw how horrible Trump is uh, during depositions now. One where he pled the fifth 400 plus times in the New York Attorney General Letitia James uh, case. Then we saw, of course, where he actually did answer questions in E. Jean Carroll. He was just uh, horrific, like, like the worst possible witness for every single reason. You would always um, think that his lawyers didn't properly prepare him based upon the answers. But then again, how many times, Ben, have I turned around and told you that Donald Trump is actually dumb? He's so fucking dumb he couldn't pass the urine test. And that's the problem. So when you have a guy who is historically a liar, who is now being recorded in terms of every single word that comes out of his mouth, what do you think happens? He can't remember the lie that he told five minutes ago or 15 minutes ago or a half hour, an hour, or two hours or what have you. And so he keeps this circular, ridiculous commentary going on, on and on and on. And we get to read it on paper so that there is no um, confusion based upon what he's saying. I got to give Peter Strzok um, a lot of credit and I give the judge a lot of credit because it's not easy to get Donald Trump to the table to be deposed. I can tell you this from personal experience. I have a lawsuit pending against Trump and the Trump organization. He was supposed to testify. He, Don Jr., Alan Weisselberg, and none of them. They've all evaded the dates that they were supposed to. And ultimately what happened is they had made a motion to dismiss the case based upon um, the fact that the judge made a determination that the 
case that I had brought against them for the legal fees was not done for the benefit of Donald Trump, but rather uh, not done for the benefit of the Trump organization, but rather for Donald. And therefore, um, I shouldn't be able to um, continue with the lawsuit. That, of course, was overturned. And now we're looking for the depositions of Donald, Don Jr. and Alan Weitzel. But their lawyer, and this is one of the few times I think that their lawyer, you know, it's going to sound crazy, did the smart thing. He turned around and he told the judge that if they lose the motion, that they do not want to continue with depositions. They just want to go straight to trial based upon the damages in that way that Donald, Don Jr. and Allen will never have to testify um, because, again, they lie during during the deposition, so that's somewhat of a problem. But then again, he's such a terrible witness that nothing that comes out of his mouth can be beneficial. Not just hurt him in the case that I have pending against him, but in other cases as well. We talked on the last uh, episode of our podcast about the subpoena you were served with by Donald Trump. By the way... I think one of your arguments for getting Donald Trump's deposition, um, this is my, I'm just giving legal advice right now. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways that you can get his deposition more easily is to say, look, he deposed me, so he's deposing me, I'm deposing him. But have you given any more thought on the last episode about calling Alina Hobb? I'm happy to call her. Um, or your other lawyer can call her. I won't be offended. Um, and saying to Alina Habba, look, Cohen will do it, but we are broadcasting it live on the political beatdown. We want the camera feed to be streamed publicly everywhere. Have you given that more thought? Um, and do you think that, uh, you think that's going to happen? Yeah. So I can't do this date no matter what, because I have a conflict that's more important in my life than sitting for Donald Trump's deposition. But let me be very clear that, again, uh, I will probably move to quash the subpoena uh, in the fact that it does not comport with a whole slew of issues that um, right now is confronting uh, Donald uh, in this specific case. So uh, I would probably, I'm still waiting for, you know, I'm taking it under advisement from counsel, and I'm still waiting. Okay, you can take it under advisement from counsel instead of your podcast co-host. It's okay. Exactly. <laughs> I, I see that being a, a, a more savvy move than listening to me here. But, you know, we'll, we'll put an asterisk there, and, and we'll talk off the record about that more. Um, let's talk, though, also about special counsel Jack Smith's most recent move. Um, subpoenaing Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Look, we've, we've seen some of their testimony in the clips during the public January 6th committee hearings. You can actually read their full de depositions that the January 6th committee um, uh, took um, if you want to read the full version of that. But I think Jack Smith is not just focused on the areas that the January 6th committee was. He seems a lot more focused on the financial crimes as well that that trump has committed relating to the insurrection the campaign finance violations so one of the things that trump did not really getting a lot of attention but he created this pass-through entity um, that's basically run by all of his people and this is the first time the entity was created that takes no outside 
uh, political action committee or committee money in general from any other source other than Trump's committees, and about $769 million went to this um, kind of straw man or straw person uh, entity. And the reason that they do that is kind of classic money laundering in the sense that once it goes to that entity that has some, you know, just basic name that, 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 that just kind of blends in, you don't know then, because you don't have to report where the money goes from that entity to all of these other sources. So the way you kind of hide it is by putting it in this entity. And one area that we know that uh, Jack Smith's focused on is there. I wonder if Jack Smith's also going to focus on Kushner's, you know, relationship here with the Saudis and, um, and, and the family's relationship with various uh, foreign entities. Remember, uh, Kushner flew back on January 6th from his meetings in the Middle East shortly thereafter, after Trump was ejected from the White House after losing by 7 million votes, Kushner and the uh, Saudi Sovereign Fund announced a $2 billion bribe, essentially is what it was, to Kushner. You know, Kushner previously turned over classified lists to the Saudis of like enemies of the Saudi government and uh, a bunch of whole other horrific things. But I wonder if Jack Smith goes there because that also relates to the case involving Trump's theft of government records regarding why did Trump steal certain documents perhaps related to foreign countries to use for transactional purposes. So what do you make of this subpoena generally, Cohen? So it's the way I see it is we have to start with what Jack Smith's, um, what his rights actually are. I don't believe that he has broad um, subpoena power over any specific issue that comes up. I think that he's brought on for a specific issue by Merrick Garland and sort of has to stay in that lane of traffic. So using that as my thought, we really do have to dissect what is it about Ivanka and Jared that sort of play into what the scope and purpose of Jack Smith being brought on as special counsel are. The way I was reading it, I mean, to me, it almost looks like he may even be looking sort of towards a RICO type of a statute uh, where Donald had used so many people in the commission of the illegality that this could be one of the things that he's looking at. On top of that, Jared and Ivanka were senior advisors. They were there for a slew of things, not just the January 6th committee, but also the movement of these documents from the White House to the uh, Mar-a-Lago storage facility, as well as other things, again, that fall within his scope and purview. So specifically what it is, obviously neither of us have that requisite knowledge to talk further, but I can tell you it's not a good thing for either Jared or Ivanka. And again, if you look, as Ben was saying, at the testimony that they both gave, one of the problems for them is that they think they're going to be able to escape this subpoena based upon executive privilege and the mistake that's constantly being made, whether it's on television or by reporters, is the fact that Donald Trump does not have the executive privilege. 
he is not the president except to this MAGA group of people and to most of his Mar-a-Lago members. He is not the president. So therefore, he does not possess the executive privilege within which to turn around and tell them not to. That would be Joe Biden's decision as he is the president of the United States. And so what ends up happening? Could they end up holding them in contempt to the same extent that they held and they are holding Steve Bannon accountable? I believe the answer is yes. Now, again, both of them will be prepared enough in order to give these sort of answer non-answers very similar to the way that Ivanka and Jared's answers were given during the January 6th hearings in order to protect themselves from perjury, what's called a 1001 violation. So all I can do is, like so many of you, keep our fingers crossed and ensure that they do end up, you know, um, responding to the subpoena, appearing for the subpoena, and providing honest and truthful testimony, because it certainly will help uh, in terms of the transparency uh, issue of what was going on during all of these activities. Before we go on to the next topic, Cohen, I, I, I like to intersperse a, a little bit of fun on the show as we go through some of these um, sometimes very, very heavy matters and, and dissect them. Well, Cohen, what, what, what do you like to do for fun? I, I'm just curious. Like when you're not when you're not at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, when you're not seeking justice, what does Michael Cohen like to do for fun? I'm just interested. You know, one of the problems that this scenario has caused for me is obviously, you know, I lost my law license. I will ultimately get it back. Uh, on top of that, I had lost my business. Um, I still am somewhat busy with Crisis X. That's the crisis management company. Obviously, Maya Culpa takes up quite a bit of time. Uh, this podcast, now Political Beatdown, taking up some time. I like to take walks, um, you know, through Central Park, uh, here in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, I just like to go outside, uh, spend time with you know friends, with uh, my son, my daughter, you know my wife. Uh, but you know this this has really changed the entire life. Uh, you know, obviously, as I had said once before, dealing with some health issues, and so you know I unfortunately spend just way too much time. I used to make fun of my parents. You know, when it came to this sort of stuff, you know, when your parents are like, oh, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm going to see this doctor or that doctor. Well, I feel like I'm becoming my parents. And I never thought that that day was going to happen. So just dealing with a lot of issues. But for fun, I just truly enjoy Central Park. I really enjoy walking through the park uh, and just uh, listening to music as I, you know, as I walk and I get my steps in. Do you have a favorite band or a favorite uh, song recently? No, I kind of like the top, you know, I, I like Flowers, like everybody else, uh, by Miley Cyrus. I like Ed Sheeran's entire collection of songs. I like to go back to some of the 80s and, you know, the 80 oldies uh, and the 90s. Uh, every now and then, you know, suddenly I like, uh, you know, Park Wind and Fire. You know, I, I like, obviously, Billy Joel. So it's sort of that medley of, you know, of music uh, that... You know, it goes on the shuffle. I use the Amazon Music Shuffle. So, you know, you put in, for example, Ed Sheeran, and it'll give you all sorts of 
uh, music that's on par and similar. Hi. Oh, where's where's the volume, man? Oh shit! Did their volume go off? I know the purpose, uh, you know, of the United States. And so, what ends up happening? Could they end up holding them in contempt to the same extent that they held and they are holding Steve Bannon accountable? I believe the answer is yes. Now again. Both of them will be prepared enough in no, order to give these feel. sort of answer non-answers, very similar to the way that Ivanka and Jared's answers were given during the January 6th hearings in order to protect themselves from perjury, what's called the 1001 violation. So all I can do is, like so many of you, keep our fingers crossed and ensure that they do end up you know, um, responding to the subpoena, appearing for the subpoena, and providing honest and truthful testimony, because it certainly will help uh, in terms of the transparency uh, issue of what was going on during all of these activities. Before we go on to the next topic, Cohen, I, I, I like to intersperse a, a little bit of fun on the show as we go through some of these um, sometimes very, very heavy matters and, and dissect them. What, 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 what do you like to do for fun? I, I'm just curious. Like when you're not when you're not at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, when you're not seeking justice, what does Michael Cohen like to do for fun? I'm just interested. You know, one of the problems that this scenario has caused for me is obviously, you know, I lost my law license. I will ultimately get it back. Uh, on top of that, I had lost my business. Um, I still am somewhat busy with Crisis X, that's the crisis management company. Obviously, Maya Culpa takes up quite a bit of time. Uh, this podcast, now Political Beatdown, taking up some time. I like to take walks 
um, you know, through Central Park uh, here in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I just like to go outside, uh, spend time with, you know, friends, with uh, my son, my daughter, you know, my wife. Uh, but, you know, this, this has really changed the entire life. Uh, you know, obviously, as I had said once before, dealing with some health issues. And so, you know, I unfortunately spent just way too much time. I used to make fun of my parents, you know, when it came to this sort of stuff. You know, when your parents say, oh, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm going to see this doctor or that doctor. Well, I feel like I'm becoming my parents. And I never thought that that day was going to happen. So just dealing with a lot of issues. But for fun, I just truly enjoy Central Park. I really enjoy walking through the park uh, and just uh, listening to music as I, you know, as I walk and I get my steps in. Wow. You have a favorite band or Play a favorite uh, song recently? No, I kind of like the top, you know, I, I like Flowers, like everybody else, uh, by Miley Cyrus. I like Ed Sheeran's entire collection of songs. I like to go back to some of the 80s and, you know, in the 80 oldies uh, and the 90s. Uh, every now and then, you know, something I like, uh, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, I, I like, obviously, Billy Joel. So it's sort of that medley of, Joel, you know, so. of music uh, that you know, goes Sing on the shuffle. I use the Amazon Music Shuffle. So, you know, you Sing put in, for example, a cheer, and it'll give you all sorts of... You know, the feedback I get about political beatdown, Cohen, is less of you than more of Michael, and, <laughs> we, want to, and we want to know more, we, we like when Michael opens up, and there was a moment on the last show where, or, or it been two shows ago, where you opened up very candidly just about what it's like as you Sing prepare for going into a Manhattan Of course, you can't tell us specifically Sing what you say, but just even your preparation, what it was like when you spoke um, before Congress and your preparation there and members of Congress coming up to you and, you know, and, and saying, look, what you're doing is so important. And, um, and, and all of that gives this inside look. I'm going to go hit the other topics now, of course, but I really like this aspect of the show, too, where people get to to get to really know what a great person you are and someone who over these past years has become a very, very close and dear friend to me, where you and I were just like, well, let's share these conversations that we have at night or during the day, you know, with the public and that became political beatdown. But I you know I, ben, I, I let me be let me be clear to you know to our um you know political beatdown brigade. Uh, none of this is fun. Uh, this isn't financially beneficial. Um, what it is, is it's the protection of democracy. And, you know, there are, of course, the folks, that are the trolls that join to watch what we're doing so that they could throw in and make, make them extremely happy to sit there and to say, you know, things that are denigrating towards me. And I want to be very clear. Uh, I don't really care what they have to say. I know the purpose. You know, there's an expression, right, that God puts on the shoulder of man. What man can, uh, and when I say man, I'm from a man, woman, just a human being, uh, can, uh, you know, can handle. And so many times when I was uh, at Otisville, there was actually a priest, there was a pastor that used to say this to me. We used to sit and have these lengthy, lengthy conversations. Um, and I, to be very honest with you, I used to say the same thing that I'm going to say to you all right now. 
I wish it was on the shoulders of someone else. This is not something that I go to sleep and say, yeah, this is great. I have a hard time sleeping anyway because my brain never shuts off. There's always something going on in this, whether it's the podcast, whether it's a potential next book, whether it's having to go back to the DA, whether it's to have to find documents, where those documents could be, the preparation, the potential for going before a grand jury. And if I go before a grand jury, there's no doubt that they'll end up being the key witness in that case, a case of first precedent, considering we've never had a president or former president ever ever indicted. But this is all about democracy. This is all about the future of America. This is all about standing up um, truth to power and ensuring that that adage is something the Democrats constantly say, and I say it as well, that no man is above the law. If we're going to allow Donald and his athletes and his sycophants to get away with it, what do you think ends up happening to our democracy? We lose more and more of our constitutional rights uh, through time. And look, one thing I say all the time is that democracy is an experiment. It is not a right. It is not ingrained in the Constitution. It is something that we all have to fight for every single day. And I'm going to go on to my fightful speech again, which is why this brigade is the single most important thing. That it's why, you know, I enjoy doing this as much as I do. To fill the brigade so that our voices must be heard, our voices must be acknowledged and adhered to, because we stand for truth, we stand for right. And to these individuals, you know, who want to comment and say things, well, what, you know, Michael Cohen is now a truth teller. What was he doing before when he was working for Donald Trump? I need to be clear about this. The Donald Trump that I worked for was a real estate development company. What was I doing? I was the co-president of Trump Productions dealing with stupid shit like The Apprentice. All right, as well as some reality shows. Um, we were building buildings around you know, the country and looking for opportunities around the world. Nothing that Donald Trump did. Yeah, we fucked over uh, you know, contractors and so on. So what? How does that affect you or your life? It doesn't. But when it starts to affect America and American democracy and our children, our God willing one day grandchildren and great grandchildren, that's when we have to start to say enough is enough and that's why it was my decision when I said to George Stephanopoulos on ABC that you know my wife my daughter my son and my country have my first uh, you know priority they have my first loyalty and that they always will and that happens to be the truth and I will continue to speak truth to power regardless of how painful it is and it's not just painful to me it breaks my heart it rips my soul to pieces when I see how my family suffers as a direct result of all of this this is not easy all right and I don't want people to think for a second that there's enjoyment in watching or being a part of any of this this is not I feel it is my duty and I am willing to sacrifice myself I don't want to sacrifice my family I was, but I'm sac you know we sacrifice so much of our own lives in order to ensure that justice will ultimately prevail and here's my promise to you the brigade justice will prevail that's a promise because the truth will prevail and being someone who is a truth teller 
against all the death threats, against all the disinformation out there, is one of the most important things. As large media networks have let us all down, it's time that we got to reinvent what the media should be, what, what, what it once was. And that brings me to the next topic, which is train derailments. I want to give everybody some stats, though, because as the MAGA Republican disinformation echo chamber has gone into overdrive to attack Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg and President Biden about the train derailment that took place in East Palestine, I want to look at some of the facts here regarding Trump and Trump's Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao's time in office. So when people start saying things to all of you brigaders listening to this and watching this, I want you to be armed with the facts. During the Trump administration, there were 5,103 train derailments in the United States. Neither Trump nor Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao went to a single one of these derailments. 5,103. During the Trump administration, there were 44,360 train accidents, with many resulting in fatalities. Again, neither Trump nor Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao went to a single one of these or talked with any of these victims. During the Trump administration, there were 58,920 transportation-related hazardous, hazardous waste leaks and spills resulting in 26 deaths and dozens of additional injuries. Again, neither Trump nor Elaine Chao went to a single one of these accident aftermaths either, nor does it appear that FEMA was called in for any of these disasters. Now, I want you to compare that to the effort of President Biden, who immediately, immediately reached out to the governor of Ohio, Governor DeWine, a Republican governor in a state of Ohio that is controlled by a Republican Senate, a Republican House, it's a Republican County, it has a Republican, the company, the train company is a Republican CEO, um, and by the way, Donald Trump took efforts to undo critical Obama-era regulations that would have mandated certain braking features on trains carrying toxic substances. It's the arsonist in Trump going to visit the fire that they created. They've also destroyed the fire department and chucking, and I kid you not, here's the number, about a dozen pallets of water. Does everybody know how much water is in a pallet? 2,880 bottles of water are in a pallet. Um, and does anybody know how much a pallet costs? A pallet of water about 500 bucks. There it is. I, I looked it up before the show. About 500 bucks. So Donald Trump, grifting off of people, gave about $5,500 worth of water. Maybe everybody in the town gets two bottles of water. By the way, he said it was Trump water. And then spread the disinformation that it is Biden and Buttigieg who didn't want to help. But look, Here's the clip of Ohio Governor Mike DeWine talking as soon after the train derailment in East Palestine that Biden reached out right away. Play the clip. Look, the president called me and said, anything you need, uh, I have not called him back uh, after that 
after that conversation. We, I will not hesitate to do that if, we, if we're seeing a problem or, or anything, but I'm not seeing it. There you have it. I've, I've not called them back. I'm not seeing it. Here's what I want to talk about also. Here's a Trump tweet from August 3rd, 2017, where he says, I'm continuing to get rid of costly and unnecessary regulations. Much work left to do, but effect will be great. Business and jobs will grow. And then Fortune magazine reported on September 24th of 2018, Trump rolls back train-breaking rule meant to keep oil tankers from exploding near communities. And there's a video for all of this. So here's the, the things I just referenced, the headline in Trump's post. But there's videos for all of this. So here's a video of Trump's ribbon cutting where he celebrated undoing the Obama-era regulations that would have stopped the train derailment in East Palestine. <laughs> when Americans wow. are free to thrive, wow. innovate, and prosper, there is no challenge too great, no task too large, and no goal beyond their reach. We are a nation of explorers and pioneers and innovators and inventors, Fucking and regulations have been hurting that and hurting it badly. We are a nation of people who work hard, dream big, and who never ever give up. We are Americans, and the future belongs to us. So together, let's cut the red tape. Let's set free our dreams, and yes, let's make America great again. And one of the ways we're going to do that is by getting rid of a lot of unnecessary regulation. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> To a meme on my one TikTok Oh, <laughs> 
disco rap punk song called Populist Brain Rot.
Working on a new punk rap hip hop rave party punk trip hop song called Hashtag Populist Green Rot. <laughs> populist. Too much money.